This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed, and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name is Rich Sayer, and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make It Big Training, and the Master of Me coaching program, Stuart Hayes. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Rich. How's things? I go well. I had a lovely walk into uh, into the office this morning, and uh, I'm in good spirits. Thank you for yes, asking. Yes, I, I saw you um, walking extremely briskly. Down, well, uh, towards the office. <laughs> it is Melbourne. It is. It was a cool start to the day. Indeed. Hmm. Indeed. Rich, uh, why don't I introduce our guest? Please do. I think. I think this story actually is something that's going to really resonate you, given your uh, early entrepreneuring at a young age as well. <laughs> but check this out. Our guest today started his apprenticeship as an entrepreneur at the age. Wait for this. What the newspaper. Of no. no, not the age newspaper. <laughs> At the age in years, Rich, of, wait for this, six. Yeah, that's Can a, you believe that? That's a pretty early start. It's extraordinary. Okay, at that time, he was selling stamps and biscuits and toffee and lemonade. But by the age of 12, he'd already started the first of three serious businesses. He's in full-time school, mind you, to support his own family. And a year later was earning more than three times the basic wage from four different ventures. That's a, a pretty solid start. It's an amazing start. He's, uh, he's, he's gone on though. Uh, no, no doubt he's gone on. He's actually been involved in 44 SMEs. 41 have been successful. He's had three significant failures. Well, I, I could live with that ratio, 41 <laughs> to three. No. It's not, it's not uh, where I'm up to yet. My ratio is probably uh, a little bit more on the other side. Uh, his career has morphed over the past 60 years from being a serial entrepreneur and CEO to a chairman and mentor, and more recently to co-founder of Venture Bank New Enterprise Services. So he's basically a venture manager and a venture banker. Right. And yet somehow, amid all that activity, he's managed to help grow hundreds of innovative small businesses and he has set himself a goal of enhancing the lives and businesses of 10,000 entrepreneurs. Wow. On the foundation of life and business with purpose, or as he calls it, business with soul. Neville Christie, it is a great pleasure to have you join us on Careers Unplugged. Oh, thanks very much, Stuart. And I must admit, I'm impressed by hearing all that. It didn't sound like you were talking about me. So, uh, (laughs) bit of voyeurism there, was there? (laughs) Ah, yes, yes. It was an interesting sort of sitting aside and sort of looking at oneself, yes. (laughs) So, Starting at the age of six, I mean, I was selling cookies out of my locker at, at boarding school myself. Uh, yes. What were the, tell me about these first three serious businesses. What was the you know the early days like? Oh, uh, if I could go back to the period six to twelve, just briefly. Mm. Um, uh, I don't quite know, but I I had a strong interest in people with a, who had blindness, um, and. It seemed very important to me uh, in those early days to do something that uh, would help uh, or, or create money for the blind. And so many of my early businesses were really about generating money for the Blind Foundation. Uh, and it started off uh, down at Site 10 Rosebud where we used to go each year uh, camping. 
And a group of us uh, organised by yours truly got together and we used to put on concerts. And uh, as part of that, um, you know, people would give a donation. And from there, we started to sell lemonade on the beach uh, in groups on hot days. Um, We'd make cookies and so on. So a lot of those early days were businesses that were oriented to to, uh, contributing to the Blind Foundation. Uh, At 12, my father had a major setback and... Uh, long story, but briefly he indicated that it was important that I left school and went out and uh, earned some money to pay board and contribute to the family. Uh, Mum went out to work. Dad went from having a small wood, ice and chaff merchant, which had gone bad. Uh, he uh, went off and became a labourer. So I wanted to go to university and by a lot of agreement, I was I negotiated that as long as I paid my my rent, uh, my board, uh, paid my school books and fees, uh, paid my clothing uh, and every other cost associated, I can continue to go to school. So with that enormously positive uh, motivation, um, I started my first three uh, small businesses and uh, as Stuart said, by the time I was 13, uh, I was earning three or four times what my father was earning. I've got to say, that is an absolutely extraordinary story. Uh, I'm you know, I recall back when I was that age and I got to 12, went to high school and I decided that that was enough of mum uh, looking after me and I started to iron my shirts and pack my own lunch. That was my contribution to the family, but <laughs> crikey. I mean, you know, basically uh, contributing to the, the running of a family um, in a way that you could still go on a path to university. Um, that was your goal at that stage. What about, you know, as the years unfolded and you got uh, towards university, how did how did your goals change then? Uh, well, they were always entrepreneurial and it was also always like that there was the main, uh, you know, the main drive going to school, going to university to start with and then just uh, ideas kept coming about how to set up businesses. So uh, it was always about being independent. I guess I've always been really maverick. My family... Uh, was a family that didn't read books or didn't wasn't interested in classical music or uh, and yet I was sort of you know like I was born out of place and time so um, the the streak was always about independence learning growing becoming different uh, and one of the reasons I've set up forty four of my own businesses and now with the venture bank we're working with ninety seven different businesses um, is that uh, the notion of just spending your life or your career uh, doing one thing has always seemed extraordinarily business, uh, extraordinarily boring to me. Uh, so my motivation has been to live in a multiverse rather than a universe uh, and always do at least seven totally different things uh, as a means to keep <laughs> growing and changing. And anything less seems terribly, terribly boring to me. <laughs> Consider yourself a bit restless then. Ah. Uh, Look, uh, something like 35% of all entrepreneurs have what they call a restless gene. Uh, It's an actual gene they've identified and it's associated also with ADHD, learning difficulties, Mm. Uh, and it's a gift, uh, but it's often seen as a problem and there's no doubt I have the restless gene uh, quite strongly here. Yeah. I think you're talking to two people that have possibly got that gene as well, yeah, Neville. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even now while I'm sitting on the chair, I'm sort of, you know, wiggling from side to side. And, uh, you know, very hard to sit still. 
So your, your initial goal, in the initial driver was to get to university in that phase, as you're saying. Yes. Once university, once you graduated, what was the, the big drivers there? Or, or was it, it was just the entrepreneurial spirit that was flourishing that was driving you? Uh, yes, you're asking a question that's intrigued me because uh, right now, and as Stuart introduced, uh, I believe the fundamental of life is to create for oneself uh, a, a worthwhile and meaningful life purpose and translating that into a business purpose. Mm. But when I look back over those years, um, I don't think I had a strong purpose. Uh, it sort of emerged. Now, in the early days, it was about the blind. Um, uh, I had a physical disability at birth and my mother used to take me from Oakley uh, through to Melbourne uh, by train and I used to pass Melbourne High School sitting up on the hill there in South Yarra and for some reason I used to say, uh, I'm going there. I had no idea, you know, uh, and I ended up going to Melbourne High School. So um, it's sort of like my goals and purposes to start with just emerged. Um, so uh, a bit later, um, I went to, went to, I started school teaching and then the idea of going overseas and being a volunteer and working in a village and learning and growing and making a contribution became the major goal. So I did that for two years and that was a transformative experience. And then it was only after that that I came back and then spent three years in uh, worldwide economic development, three and a half years, that um, the idea of being able to learn and grow and change and make a contribution and do something valuable through business again started to emerge. So that became very clear uh, when I was about 28. Yeah, a lot wow. of things come, uh, come into clarity at 28. It's the Saturn return. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> nearly 30 itis, I call it. So, <laughs> yes. um, were, were individuals uh, influential on you at that time? Did you have anyone mentoring you or guiding you through that journey? Or was there someone that was sort of uh, influential in, in you seeing the light, so to speak? Yes, yes, it's a really good question. Thanks, Rich. Um, one of the many reasons why I've been a business mentor and now an entrepreneurial mentor for, for many, many years is that uh, a number of people were very, very important to me. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention only two because neither of them were the traditional view of a mentor that most of us think of. Mm. One was a man named Harold Knox, and Harold was a history teacher at Garden Vale Central. And... Um, I can't remember a thing that he taught me in history, but what, <laughs> what changed my life was that he had a passionate fondness for classical music and I came from a family where uh, classical music was just not on the, gen on the agenda. <laughs> and Harold saw something in me and a few others and he selected us the first year and would take us into a room on Wednesday lunchtimes and for, for the first year he just played Sibelius's first symphony over and over every week. But each week he would tell us to listen for something else, something different, something new. And that man changed my life because he gave me a sense of the beauty of classical music, um, you know, the balance between Sibelius, who's a romantic but sort of in the classical mode but modern. Mm. Uh, so he opened up, you know, modern music and, and classical music and sort of Baroque music to me uh, just by simply 
um, keeping to that one piece of music. And the second year he did Brahms' first piano concerto. Uh, so I went on to develop a passionate love of music. I started to play the piano, the clarinet, compose music, um, conduct choirs. Uh, and, and, you know, that was a life-changing event. Um, and he, he was a fantastic mentor. Mm. Uh, the second one, because I've always been restless at school, I was always terribly bored, dreaming up of new businesses, planning planning what to do with my business rather than listening to the teachers. So I often did put fairly poorly and I was often sent out of class. Um, and on the bus home from Garden Vale to East Bentley, I always used to play up like crazy, you know, make noise, be the leader of the gang. And I remember, I've got no idea what her name is, but I remember meeting a woman uh, at age 12 in our local, um, uh, local uh, what do you call it, a sweet shop, mm. milk bar. And uh, <clears throat> this woman said, ah, oh, you're that good little boy from the bus. And I mm. said, ha, 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 you're joking, me, a good little boy. And she said, ah, I see what you can become, not what you are. Oh, wow. And... At 12, that started off, it was one of the key elements in me starting to entrepreneur seriously, you know, that she saw what I could become, not who I was, uh, a, a life-transforming sentence. Well, that's, uh, that's sending tingles up my spine, absolutely, Neville. Absolutely. Yeah. What a beautiful gift too to, to, for someone to communicate. Gift, yes. For someone that I've got no idea what her name is or who she is, if she's out there still, big thank you. Well, that's a you mean, that's a really wonderful story for a turning point, isn't it? Yes, yes. You mentioned early on that that your goals just seem to emerge um, to start with. Yes. What? What? Uh, I sense that from that that you've become a bit of a goal setter in over the time. Uh, yes. In fact, at one time I had a website called Big Fat Hairy Audacious Goals dot <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Yes. Um, I've come to believe passionately and I hope, uh, I'm not I hope, I'm sure I've acted out two things. One, that um, uh, life of itself can be meaningless and without purpose, that there's no, <clears throat> there's no innate purpose other than to uh, procreate and, you know, pass on our genes to, a, to another generation. Sure. Uh, but... Um, but we need to we need to create a life of purpose because for ourselves, otherwise life is meaningless. And you know the the strange thing is that as human beings, we have an enormous need to live a life of meaning. Um, so this notion of sitting down, working out, talking with your mentors, your parents, uh, other people, to actually create a life that's worthwhile, create a purpose that's bigger than yourself. Mm. Um, uh, has become enormously important to me. And yes. then leading on to that, you know, from that, you create big, fat, hairy, audacious forms. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, it. And did that, uh, I guess, desire to have meaning to life, did that really sort of take you at 13 with a comment in a milk bar and it just it, it's, it's grown from there? Yes, yes. And, and uh, I mean, we've all heard of Maslow, the notion that uh, the purpose or meaning of life is to self-actualise or yep. to, become, to become the person that you can be, you know, the person that you've got it in you to be. And that's a multifaceted thing, you know, to keep learning and growing, to, to relate to other people, to be loving, kind, generous, uh, to, mm. to, uh, to strive, to, 
take the talent that's within you to uh, manifest it in the world, to make it actual. Unleash the potential? Unleash the potential, yes. So uh, that has become one of the seven foundation stones of what I now call a business with soul. With a business with soul. <clears throat> yep. I, I'd like to hear a bit more about this, actually. This mm. is right up my alley, uh, Neville. Would right. you like to share a bit about that? Yes. A bit well, of a segue away from your career and get into that for a tick. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, go back uh, before the industrial era, uh, era, we always had businesses that were home-based or, or um, uh, trading-based globally, uh, but they, you know, they had villages and manors and all that stuff. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me a minute. Um, with the industrial age, we increasingly got sort of a fragmentation of our soul, if you like, so that, you know, we had our home-based soul and we and our family and our friends based soul and we had our work soul um and in recent years we've seen you know people always talking about work-life balance and i honestly don't believe that's possible in the modern world uh i think you either have work-life imbalance or you have uh work-life integration uh where you put the two together which is you know running your own business and and combining your, your life purpose and your work purpose together Excuse me. Um, so uh, in, in our most recent history with the global financial crisis, etc., what became very clear was that many businesses, and I'm not saying all by any amount, but some really, really business, big businesses became so greedy and rapacious, uh, what I would call businesses without soul. And around the world we are seeing, and particularly in the generation under 32, the digitally wired generation, what we're seeing is a real lack of trust uh, amongst business and research has said 75% of all people around the world in industrialised nations, 24 of them, uh, now distrust business. They just say it's not trustworthy. And and as a part of that, there's a cry for a return, a return to soul, a return to businesses that add value to the world rather than rape it and, and you know, uh, grab value and distribute wealth. Uh, businesses that create wealth, add value, solve problems, create opportunities. So for me, a business with soul is about that. It's a, it's a business that uh, does, does well in the world by doing good. Um, and so the first, the first of the seven planks is purpose, having a really, really worthwhile, meaningful purpose. The second is people and businesses with soul uh, recruit for talent and incubate talent. They're, they're talent incubators uh, as much as they're business incubators. Um, then the third notion is potential. And we, as we've said, we've all got potential in us and businesses have potential and clients have potential and there's enormous wondrous resources and potential in the world uh, and manifesting that potential as individuals, as teams, as a businesses into the world uh, seems to me to be a very worthwhile thing to do. Um, out of that uh, becomes performance because if we don't perform and get outcomes and results, then, you know, what are we doing? We're, we're actually fake and we're, we're um, you know, there's something wrong with our value system. Mm. Uh, and then the, the, the last three are, of course, making a profit. Um, I don't believe profit is the aim or goal of business. I think it's an incredibly important byproduct and a very uh, important facilitator for making businesses thrive and grow, but I don't believe it's the aim. And then the last two are the planet in some shape or form, uh, you know, 
we're asking the wrong question, will the planet survive? The planet's very good at uh, throwing off parasites and human beings beings have become parasites. So, you know, the question is, will we survive? Will not the planet, you know, and then the final one is philanthropy. And I think it's wonderful that many, many businesses are now seeing that being generous is the new business imperative and uh, that philanthropy is really a key part of what we should have as our bottom line. So those seven elements to me make up a business with soul. I love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you talked to earlier the, in, you know, on the purpose, just looking at purpose um, and also about fragmentation and all that sort of thing of, of you know, people, their soul getting fragmented. Yes. Have you found that where you've lost purpose or perhaps some of those 44 businesses, you talked about three failures, um, was there a theme there, an overlap of purpose or lack of purpose maybe that led to, to some of that, um, those failures? Oh, that's a great question. Um, ah, yes. Uh, of the, the three really big failures, I was just thinking of them the other day. Um, uh, they all involved uh, three elements. The first one was that to a certain extent, I lost my inner purpose and started to get money greedy. Mm. Uh, and in life, um, I've discovered, and in business, I've discovered over and over again that there's an inner gyroscope inside, and that when I'm true to that, mm. it's like uh, you know, it's like the gyroscope in a boat uh, or a ship that you can get stormy weathers and you can lose the sense of direction and you don't know where you are, but the gyroscope will give you, will f- help you to find true north. Um, yes, yes. Uh, it'll, it'll help you to go. And so you sort of feel your direction. You feel, you, but well, not only feel it, you know it. Like <laughs> it's this deep inner sense of confidence that you know you're doing the right thing, you're, doing, you're heading in the right direction. So in each of the cases uh, where I lost a huge amount of money, um, and uh, I lost a bit of my soul. It was when I lost that gyroscope and I started taking unnecessary big risks and looking for, you know, really big dollars. Uh, The second element was always uh, present that I became absorbed and obsessed by the business itself as if it was um, uh, an intrinsic entity all of itself and I took my eyes off what was happening in the broader world, you know, the changes that were going on. Mm, and nice. so the third thing, when there was some really big external event that was outside my awareness and outside my ability to control it happened, uh, it was like the ship, uh, the sinking of the Titanic. The whole thing went down the, down the, into the waters. Well, um, that's amazing. I'm, I'm reflecting on uh, some of the, the tough business occasions of my career and uh, those themes are, are right there. <laughs> the sense of drowning sounds all too familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I have to say that on a couple of those occasions, um, I really learned to swim. You know, it's uh, like, you know, you either go down with the boat or it toughens you and, you um, you know, you learn, you, you learn your hard lessons. Uh, the problem, I mean, the issue for me in life is that I think I've learned some really terrific lessons and that I'll never repeat that same mistake again in business or in life. But, you know, next time it's dressed in different clothing and it doesn't mm. quite look the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, isn't that true? It's like, the, it's like the wolf of that cartoon, you know, the, yeah. uh, the problems. It's a bit like negativity. 
yeah. you know, negativity, you know, you're talking about your, your confidence there and you just know that, that, uh, Geiger counter, so to speak, that's inside of us where you just uh-huh. know, you just. Geiger counter is different. This is a gyroscope. Yeah, gyros. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, but when you're saying, you know, when you're making a decision, you absolutely know. Yes. Um, and it's that, that, that sense of, um, confidence so well it's also a sense of flow rich you know yeah. what the psychologist calls that when you're paying attention to your purpose and your meaning and your gyroscope uh you're listening to it you have this extraordinary daily every sense that you, you sort of know that this is taking you in the right direction and that's not taking you in the right direction so you should stop that and do more of this yeah. yep. uh, and and it's a beautiful daily experience of contentment happiness growth learning uh, but when you lose that, and I have three major times, uh, it can be pretty serious. But, you know, when you're drowning, you either go down with the ship or you learn to swim and you find... <laughs> and, or you and, drown. <laughs> you find land and you start again. <laughs> so uh, it's happened three times. Three you, big times. Three yeah. big times. Do you sort of check in with yourself now and go, um, am I on track today and... Uh, you know, do you have a little process that, that helps you to stay in touch with that now? Uh, yes, I do. And, in fact, um, one of the things I've learned is that uh, something like about 85% of Australian uh, executives and managers uh, do not do enough testing and enough reflecting. So uh, we, we jump into business ideas and we go hell for leather, but we don't test them first in series and... Uh, Part of what I've learned is to, uh, you know, the lean idea of getting to, getting to market too early, test it, uh, do things with your, to do things with your potential clients, co-create with other people, so that you're not you're not doing it all yourself. So that's a really big uh, filter I have, and the second one is to sit down and reflect and say, what am I learning? What am I doing? Uh, where, where am I? What am I doing correctly? What am I not doing correctly? And uh, as a result of that, last month. Uh, Tim Boss and my partner decided that 97 Projects was a recipe for disaster, that we couldn't possibly uh, fulfil our obligations to other people, um, you know, with that. And so we've been pruning that back down and we think we'll get back down to probably about 10, which we could manage. Mm, Mm. So, yeah, sorry, just to repeat, it's the testing rather than going full full bore and and, uh, the reflection that's really important. Yeah, that sounds uh, very familiar, Stu, with your, uh, uh, what was the, the quote? One thing worse than going in the wrong direction is going in the wrong direction with enthusiasm. Indeed. <laughs> the best piece of advice I ever received never was that one. Um, and as soon as it was given to me, my um, subconscious, which is like a library, started banging these folios in front of me of all these occasions I'd done it, you know, enthusiastically going in the wrong direction. Yeah, well, uh, I guess there's really only two things. If things are not going well, we're either doing the wrong thing or we're doing the right thing wrongly. So, uh, uh. <laughs> so is that the gold nugget, Neville? If we had to sort of, if you had to give that sort of gold nugget to a listener, you know, is that it? Is is it the testing and is that the the guts of it for you? Uh, I give two parts to the gold nugget. The the first part is, you know, any business that's merely built on profit, uh, any life that's just built on meandering of itself mm. uh, uh, ends up, as somebody said, 
you know, what has it profited you if you spent your whole life climbing the career ladder mm. and then find at the end of it you've been, the ladder's been against the wrong wall? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, so, uh, you know, mind. yes, uh, I mean, that's profound really because, so, so the first part of the nugget is that it is, of course, we meander for a part of our life because we're learning and growing and changing, but there comes a point, and for example, James Missioner, the great, uh, the great novelist was a lecturer and a traveller until he was age 40 and at age 40 he suddenly decided that his purpose in life was to write grand novels. Um, and so, you know, at 40 off he went and he wrote some brilliant novels until he died. Um, so purpose, finding, creating a life and business purpose. And, and if once we have that life purpose, don't build any business, build a business on that life purpose so that if we want to be Mama, Mother Teresa in our life, uh, make our business uh, as as a Mother Teresa business. So uh, it's that one. And then secondly, yes, the testing and reflecting um, as we go. Go to market too early, test, work with your clients, sit down and reflect. What have we learned? How could we make it better? Um, and keep going. Mm. It reminds me of uh, ready, aim, fire versus ready, fire, aim. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the... Um, the military, they, they work on ready, fire, aim because they see what explodes off in the artillery, you know, off at the distance, and then they correct the aim as you go. So you're sort of constantly firing until you hit your target. And uh, in in my career, certainly uh, in my business experience, I found that to be quite a productive approach as well. Uh, uh, that reminds me, though, of another approach, Rich, and that is the guy who always got a perfect score in archery because he'd fire the arrow at the tree and then he'd paint the target around the arrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm going to actually use. I'm gonna that sounds it. like a federal government. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not straying into politics, are we? Uh, no, no. So I'll keep out of that domain if you don't. <laughs> Well, Neville, that's about all we've got time for on the show today. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights into your to your journey and uh, and giving us some of those little little nuggets there. That you know, fantastic yes. stuff. And it's and, been my delight, Rick. Thanks very much, and you, Stuart, too. I've enjoyed it a lot. Oh, um, look, you're very welcome. You know, I, I have to say that um, for me, uh, I was a late realizer of the importance of purpose um, and it's something that became evident to me only really in my very late 30s um, early 40s and uh, that has changed my life and, and the things that you've talked about uh, really really resonate with me so thank you so much can i just add one final thing please uh, i started true you know serious entrepreneuring at 12 uh, i'm now 72 uh, i'm still going stronger than ever and in many ways i believe i'm just hitting my straps so a final message, you're never too young to start entrepreneuring and you're certainly never too old. <laughs> I'm going to run with that. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Neville. To all okay. of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. We hope the insights provided by Neville uh, help you on your journey. Don't forget to visit makeabigtraining.com to access more information about Neville and, uh, and his adventures. Leave a comment and access a whole bunch of other resources designed specifically to help you make it big in life, career and business. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program, helping you succeed in life, career and business.
Hi, Lawrence Tamir from The Wellness Guy Show and the Inside the Champion's Mind. The Wellness Summit returns to Melbourne in 2014 for not only one, but two days of powerhouse wellness with your favorite wellness couch host and Australian's wellness elite. Join us at Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16th and Sunday, August 17th for inspirational, educational, fun, exciting, sensational cocktail of wellness that promises to help you take your life to the next level. Regular tickets are $297, but for strictly limited time, we have 150 seats available for just $247. Hurry up, because the first 150 tickets when we went on sale sold out in 48 hours. So be quick. Join us at the two-day live event that will change your life forever. Tickets now are on sale at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.